Random Knowledge, Episode 70. Monadnock Building. The Monadnock Building is a 16-story skyscraper located at 53 West Jackson Boulevard in the South Loop area of Chicago. The north half of the building was designed by the firm of Burnham & Root and built starting in 1891. The tallest load-bearing brick building ever constructed, it employed the first portal system of wind bracing in America. Its decorative staircases represent the first structural use of aluminum in building construction. The later south half, constructed in 1893, was designed by Hollibird and Roche and is similar in color and profile to the original, but the design is more traditionally ornate. When completed, it was the largest office building in the world. The success of the building was the catalyst for an important new business center at the southern end of the loop. The building was remodeled in 1938 in one of the first major skyscraper renovations ever undertaken, a bid, in part, to revolutionize how building maintenance was done and halt the demolition of Chicago's aging skyscrapers. It was sold in 1979 to owners who restored the building to its original condition, in one of the most comprehensive skyscraper restorations attempted as of 1992. The project was recognized as one of the top restoration projects in the U.S. by the National Trust for Historic Preservation in 1987. The building is divided into offices from 250 square feet to 6,000 square feet in size, and primarily serves independent professional firms. It was listed for sale in 2007. The north half is an unornamented vertical mass of purple-brown brick, flaring gently out at the base and top, with vertically continuous bay windows projecting out. The south half is vertically divided by brickwork at the base and rises to a large copper cornice at the roof. Projecting window bays in both halves allow large exposures of glass, giving the building an open appearance despite its mass. The Monadnock is part of the Printing House Row District, which also includes the Fisher Building, the Manhattan Building, and the Old Colony Building. When it was built, many critics called the building too extreme, and lacking in style. Others found in its lack of ornamentation the natural extension of its commercial purpose and an expression of modern business life. Early 20th-century European architects found inspiration in its attention to purpose and functional expression. It was one of the first buildings named a Chicago architectural landmark in 1958. It was added to the National Register of Historic Places in 1970, and named as part of the National Historic Landmark South Dearborn Street, Printing House Row North, historic district in 1976. Modern critics have called it a classic, a triumph of unified design, and one of the most exciting aesthetic experiences America's commercial architecture produced. History North Half the Monadnock was commissioned by Boston real estate developers Peter and Shepard Brooks in the building boom following the Depression of 1873-79. The Brooks family, which had amassed a fortune in the shipping insurance business and had been investing in Chicago real estate since 1863, had retained Chicago property manager Owen F. Aldis to manage the construction of the seven-story Granis block on Dearborn Street in 1880. It was Aldis, one of two men Louis Sullivan credited with being responsible for the modern office building, who convinced investors such as the Brooks brothers to build new skyscrapers in Chicago. By the end of the century, Aldis would create over 1 million square feet off new office space and manage nearly one-fifth of the office space in the loop. Daniel Burnham and John Wellborn Root met as young draftsmen in the Chicago firm of Carter, Drake, 
and White in 1872 and left to form Burnham and Root the following year. At Aldous's urging, the Brooks brothers had retained the then-fledgling firm to design the Granis Block, which was their first major commission. Burnham and Root would become the architects of choice for the Brooks family, for whom they would complete the first high-rise building in Chicago, the 10-story Montauk Building, in 1883, and the 11-story Rookery Building in 1888. The Great Chicago Fire of 1871 had destroyed a 4 by 0.5 miles width of the city between the Chicago River and Lake Michigan, and subsequent commercial development expanded into the area far south of the main business district along the river that would come to be known as the Loop. Between 1881 and 1885, Aldis bought a series of lots in the area on Peter Brooks's behalf, including a 70 by 200 foot site on the corner of Jackson and Dearborn streets. The location was remote, yet attractive for several reasons. The construction of the Chicago Board of Trade Building in 1885 had made nearby LaSalle Street the city's prime financial district, driving up property values, and railroad companies were buying up land further south for new terminal buildings, creating further speculation in the southeastern end of the loop. Brooks commissioned Burnham and Root to design a building for the site in 1884, and the project was announced in 1885, with a brief trade journal notice that the building would cost $850,000. The Chicago building community had little faith in Brooks's choice of location. Architect Edwin Renwick would say, when Owen Aldis put up the Monadnock on Jackson Boulevard there was nothing on the south side of the street between State Street and the river but cheap one-story shacks, mere hovels. Everyone thought Mr. Aldis was insane to build way out there on the ragged edge of the city. Later when he carried the building on through Van Buren Street they were sure he was. Early sketches show a 13-story building with ancient Egyptian ornament and a slight flaring at the top, divided visually into five sections with a lotus blossom decorative motif. This design was never approved, as Brooks waited for the real estate market in the South Loop, still mostly warehouses, to improve. Where Root was known for the detailed ornamentation of his designs, Brooks was known for his stinginess and preference for simplicity. For the Monadnock, Brooks insisted that the architects refrain from elaborate ornamentation and produce instead, the effect of solidity and strength, or a design that will produce that effect, rather than ornament for a notable appearance. In an 1884 letter to Aldis, he wrote, my notion is to have no projecting surfaces or indentations, but to have everything flush. Dot dot dot. So tall and narrow a building must have some ornament in so conspicuous a situation. Also live as it used to, and he sought tenants for the street-level shops that were similar to their 19th-century occupants. Shop windows were cleared of all signs and obstructions to preserve intended view from the corridor through to the street. Fluorescent lighting was prohibited and only gold leaf lettering on the glass was permitted for signage. Shops all individually owned, were selected to fit the architectural character of the building. A florist, for example, was chosen that evoked a turn-of-the-century atmosphere, as well as a barbershop with vintage fixtures and decor. A tobacconist with oak furnishings, a pen shop with glass cases, a shoeshine stand, and other service establishments represented, in Donald's words, the kind of small-scale entrepreneurs who occupied those spaces at the turn of the century, the kind of people who bring vitality and life to a building because they have a stake in it, the restoration was a success both critically and commercially. The building was 80% occupied when bought in 1979 and rented for $5.50 per square foot. By 1982, it was 91% occupied and commanded rent of $9 per square foot. The Monadnock was selected as one of top restoration projects in the country by the National Trust for Historic Preservation in 1987, noting the outstanding quality of the overall restoration effort and the precision, detail and faithfulness of the interior restoration, in particular the lobby, 
which serves as a model for preservation nationwide. The restored Monadnock is divided into offices of from 250 square feet to 6,000 square feet as of 2008. It was 98.9% leased. The 300 tenants are primarily independent professional firms and entrepreneurs. Rents range from $21 to $23 per square foot, plus electricity. The building was offered for sale in 2007, with an expected price of $45 to $60 million. A tentative deal was reached at a price of $48 million in 2008. Architecture Together, the two parts of the building have a frontage of 420 feet and Dearborn Street with a depth of 70 feet. The original northern half presents a plain, unbroken vertical mass of purple-brown brick, which is contoured to create a gentle curve at the base of the building and an outward flare to form an austere parapet at the top. The gentle swelling at base and cornice, observed historian Donald Hoffman, came very close to the bell-shaped column the Egyptians had derived from papyrus. The corners of the building are gracefully chamfered as they rise to the top and the oriel windows are chamfered at their base. The floor divisions are not marked on the exterior. The unbroken edifice is interrupted only by a series of cantilevered window bays, separated by rows of single thin-silled windows set into the vertical face. The entryways are small, single-height portals topped with plain stone lintels. The south half preserves the lines and color of the older building, but is vertically divided by a string course over the second story, emphasizing the building's base, and a large ornamental copper cornice at the roofline. Massive blocks of red granite, six feet thick, frame the large, two-story entrances. The projecting window bays of the original are repeated, but alternate in a pattern of two four-window bays to one recessed strip of windows to create the undulating appearance of the façade that was an early trademark of Holabird and Roche. Carl Condit, historian of the Chicago School, has commented that the general appearance of the Monadnock almost belies its masonry construction. The projecting bays of the walls with their large glass areas give the structure a light and open appearance in spite of its great mass. Dot dot dot. Stripped of every vestige of ornament, its rigorous geometry softened only by the slight inward curve of the wall at the top of the first story, the outward flare of the parapet, and the progressive rounding of the corners from bottom to top, subtly proportioned and scaled, the Monadnock is a severe yet powerfully expressive composition in horizontal and vertical lines. The Monadnock rests on the floating foundation system invented by Root for the Montauk building that revolutionized the way tall buildings were built on Chicago's spongy soil. A two-foot layer of concrete, reinforced with steel beams, forms a spread footing extending out 11 feet under the surrounding streets, spreading the weight of the building over a large area of earth. The building was designed to settle 8 inches, but by 1905 had settled that much and several inches more, necessitating reconstruction of the first floor. By 1948, it had settled 20 inches, resulting in a step down from the street to the ground floor. The entire east wall is supported on caissons sunk to the hardpan, installed when the subway blue line was dug under Dearborn Street in 1940. The narrow building allows an external exposure to all of the 300 offices, which pass natural light via double-hung outside windows through feather-chipped glass transoms and hallway partitions into the single central corridor. Skylights bring sunlight into the open stairwells. The north half corridors are 20 feet wide and the south half corridors are 11 feet 6 inches. In the north half, there are two open stairs in the center at the one-third points, with perforated risers, white marble treads, and decorative steel railings. There are two banks of four elevators on the west side of the corridor, one for passengers and the other for freight. 
In the south half, there is a single bank of elevators on the north half of the length. The southern bank was abandoned and slabbed over on each floor. There is a flight of stairs behind each of these shafts with marble treads, closed cast iron risers, and ornamental balusters. The basic office suite is 600 square feet, consisting of one outer office and two or more inner offices. Heavy internal walls at the quarter and halfway points, the arches of which manifest roots innovative wind bracing, mark the boundaries of the four original buildings. Surrounding area The Manadnock belongs to the Printing House Row District, a national historic landmark which includes the Manhattan Building, the Old Colony Building, and the Fisher Building, some of Chicago's seminal early skyscrapers. The Manhattan Building, built by William LeBaron Jenny in 1890, was the first building in Chicago with a complete steel skeleton or, Chicago, construction, an innovation Jenny had introduced in the Home Insurance Building in 1884. The first 16-story building in America, at the time it was regarded with awe and fear. Jenny's masterpiece, the Manhattan was considered a technical triumph in construction. The 17-story Old Colony, built by Halla Bird and Roche in 1894, was considered one of the structural masterpieces of its time for its revolutionary portal form of bracing. It is the only survivor of a group of Chicago school buildings with rounded corner bays. The Fisher Building, built by Burnham in 1894, was an engineering miracle, the first tall commercial building to be built almost entirely without bricks. Its steel frame and thin terracotta curtain wall allowed two-thirds of the surface to be covered with glass. The district overlaps geographically with the Printer's Row neighborhood, originally the center of Chicago's printing and publishing industry, but now mostly converted to residential housing. The area is also home to the largest public library in the world, the Harold Washington Library, named for Chicago's first African-American mayor, and the Loop Campus of DePaul University, America's largest Roman Catholic university. Immediately to the west on Jackson Street is the Union League Club of Chicago, founded in 1879 as a civic organization for upright, law-abiding businessmen. To the north are the three buildings comprising Ludwig Mies van der Rohe's minimalist federal plaza, the 1964 Everett McKinley Dirksen United States Courthouse, the only courthouse designed by Mies, the 1973 United States Post Office Loop Station, and the 1975 Klusinski Federal Building, Mises' last project, considered to mark the apex of his career. The triangular, 27-story Metropolitan Correctional Center, a detention center serving the federal courts in the Dirksen Building and nearby Ralph H. Metcalf Federal Building, is southwest of the Monadnock at Clark and LaSalle. The south leg of the Chicago Transit Authority elevated rail loop runs next to the building on Van Buren Street, the CDA's brown, orange, pink, and purple lines are served by the Library State, Van Buren stop one block to the east. The Jackson Street subway station, serving the blue line, is on the Dearborn Street side of the building. Critical reception and historical significance Contemporary Chicago critics considered the building too radical a departure from Burnham and Root's previous designs and too extreme in its stark simplicity and disregard for prevailing aesthetic norms calling it an engineer's house, and a thoroughly puritanical example of commercial style. European critics were even less approving. In the words of French architect Jacques Hermant, the Monadnock was no longer the result of an artist responding to particular needs with intelligence and drawing from them all of the possible consequences. It is the work of a laborer who, without the slightest study, 
superimposes 15 strictly identical stories to make a block then stops when he finds the block high enough. Other critics saw this lack of style as natural, and what made the Monadnock truly modern. New York critic Bar Ferre wrote in 1892 that, there are no attempts at facades, no ornamental appendages, nothing but a succession of windows, frankly stating that the structure is an office building, devoted to business, needing and using every available surface. Other critics praised the truthfulness of the building to the ideals of business, which, while, not necessarily the highest to which we might aspire to in art, are the only ideals the business building ought to express. Montgomery Schuyler, one of the Monadnock's most enthusiastic defenders, argued that the Monadnock's lack of ornament was not a lack of art, but rather, radiated the gravity of modern business life. The Monadnock was widely praised by early 20th-century German architects, including Mies, who on his arrival in Chicago in 1938 declared that, the Monadnock block is of such vigor and force that I am at once proud and happy to make my home here. These European architects found the building's attention to purpose and functional expression inspiring. Bauhaus architect Ludwig Hilbersheimer wrote that the false solution, unfortunately too common, of applying meaningless and misplaced adornment is here instinctively avoided. An innate feeling for proportion gives this great building inner consistency and logical purity. Modern critics have praised the Monadnock as one of the most important exemplars of the Chicago school, along with Lewis Sullivan's Carson, Peary, Scott and Company building. It has been called, a triumph of unified design, comparable to Henry Hobson Richardson's Marshall Fields Wholesale Store, and, one of the most exciting aesthetic experiences our commercial architecture has ever produced. The building was one of the first five selected by the Chicago Commission on Architectural Landmarks in 1958, in recognition of its original design and its historical interest as the highest wall-bearing structure in Chicago. The commission went on to note that the restrained use of brick, soaring massive walls, omission of ornamental forms, unite in a building simple yet majestic. In 1973, the Chicago City Council voted unanimously to designate the Monadnock a Chicago landmark, stating that, the two halves of this building provide a unique perspective for examining the history and development of modern architecture. Dot dot dot. Together, they mark the end of one building tradition and the beginning of another. Critics of the Monadnock's landmark status objected that it would prevent the necessary demolition of the building, which was an excellent example of a building that is no longer fulfilling the functions it was designed to fulfill, and a wasting asset that underperformed the market and was far less valuable than the land on which it stood would be. The National Register of Historic Places, to which the Monadnock was added in 1970, noted that the sheer, unadorned walls of this building forming a powerful mass became, prophetically, a forerunner of the slab skyscraper, a style not popular until the late 1920s, and that the two sections make, as an ensemble, one of the strongest, yet refined architectural statements in the development of 20th century architecture. Its nomination as a National Historic Landmark in 1976, as part of the South Dearborn Street, Printing House Row Historic District, included the comment that it was one of the most classical statements ever made in the skyscraper idiom. Stay tuned.